This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Before we start today, um, today is the yard site of my grandmother. Her name was Hinda Bas Sekharia Halevi. I want to talk about her for a couple of minutes before we start. Then we're going to Pasha's Bayera. Okay. So, my grandmother, Al-Rashalam, lived in Germany. Uh, my grandparents lived in Germany. My mother was born in Germany. And they were looking to run after Kristallnacht when they burned down all the shuls. And the Americans would not let them, would not let them into America. And they got a visa to the Philippines. I don't know if you, anyone here knows anything about the Philippines. The Philippines is an island in the Pacific that it didn't. It was part, of, not one of the states in America, but part of America. And um, the Americans had a, a huge airfield. The, the Air Force had a huge airfield there. And that was very close to the Japanese, to that whole part of the world. So, my grandparents got a visa to go to the Philippines. So, um, they had nowhere else to go. So, they went to the Philippines. Now, Philippines, at that point, the Americans were in the Philippines. Um, so, it was, it was a good place to go. And there were only two from Orthodox couples in the whole Philippines, in Manila. The main city, the, main, the capital of the Philippines is Manila. There were the, the Holzers, that's my grandmother, um, and the Hershouts. Um, they were both German descent. They both came from Germany. They tried to go to America. Both families couldn't go to America. So both families ended up in the Philippines. No Jews, no religious Jews there. Um, my mother went to school in a Catholic school. There was no, nothing Jewish there. She um, was very, very hard. There was no food. There was Even today, the Philippines is very, very poor. Monsoons and hurricanes. And the Japanese, who attacked America in Pearl, in Pearl Harbor, they attacked the Americans in Manila, knocked them out, sent them out. So now, my mother and my grandmother and both families were now under Japanese rule, not under American rule. And you know, of course, World War II was Germans and Japanese against, the, against America. The Japanese didn't hate Jews because they didn't know what a Jew was. They knew from the Germans that you're supposed to kill the Jews, but they didn't know anything about Jews. But they hated white people. Because they're, like, not white, the Japanese. I guess they're yellow, whatever you want to call them. But whatever, they didn't like white people. They didn't like the Filipinos. And they have no, they had no, life means nothing to them. In fact, they, they have something called um, Harry Carey. They had, they had um, where they actually take a sword and they kill themselves. Um, they also had these planes where the pilots would fly right into the boats to blow them up. So they're like, Life by them is not, not really important. Um, sort of like the Chinese, Chinese and Japanese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like in China, you only allow to have one kid. It, it's not. There are millions and trillions, and they they don't take it very seriously. So, 
I'm not going to get into the politics of COVID and where that came from. Um, so they were very mean and very um, vicious people. And my mother watched many American soldiers' heads get cut off and put on bamboo sticks in front of her house. And it was really a lot of trauma going on there. It wasn't a concentration camp. It was just, and they would kill the, they would kill the Filipinos like left and right. So, why am I telling you this? So, my grandmother, Oliver Shalom, um, was German, modern, not, you know, not, not German Jew. And she had to go to the mikvah. There was no mikvah in the Philippines, in Manila. She had to go to the mikvah. So she went to the ocean. That's a kosher mikvah, going to the ocean. So she went with Mrs. Hershout, by the way, probably the biggest doctor today in breast cancer is Dr. Hershout. You should never need, you should never know from him, you should never need him, you should never hear from him. But this guy who was actually a kid together with my mother in the Philippines today is considered like the number one breast cancer doctor, whatever. So, when a woman goes to the mikvah, she has to have another woman see her go underneath the water so that she knows all her hair, everything was underneath the water. You have to be totally underneath the water. There's a very, very fascinating zayar on how mikvah works. Like, why are you tummy, and then you go into the mikvah, a man or a woman, you go into the mikvah, and you come out tahar. How does that water, how does water take the tumma away? What, how does that work? And why do you have to make sure that when you go into a mikvah, whether you're a man or a woman, that you're totally under the mikvah, and that one here, not a, not a single here, can be above the water, and not you can't have a bandage on, can't have nail polish on, you, there can't be any chatzitza. You, you have to be totally touched by all the water. What's up with that? So the Zayar in Kabbalah talks about this. He says something very fascinating. He said that w- when did Tumma come to the world? When did Tumma come to the world? When was the first time a woman became Tame? So before Chava ate from the tree... She would not become tummy. She would not have every month a period. She would not have bleeding when she gives birth to a child. She would just have a child. There was no tumma in the world. Tumma came, and, and tumma is not physical. It's spiritual. It's not something you could see. So tumma came into the world when she ate from the eight sandas. She ate from the tree. And it says that whatever this means, I don't exactly know what it means. The snake put zuhama in her whatever that means, and made her tummy, so that every month she becomes tummy, after she ate from the tree, which means that if she wouldn't, if before she ate from the tree, there was no tummy in the world. Only came after she ate from the tree. Hashem said, I'm punishing you that every month, and you're going to give birth, and it's going to be painful, and it's not going to be so easy for a woman to, to, to have children, and um, that was her punishment for eating from the tree and giving Adam to eat from the tree. Water, which we discussed a few weeks ago, that before the sin, before the world was created, there was water here. And the whole world was covered with water. And the water in Shemayim, the water in heaven, and the water on earth before the second day wasn't split. It was all water. Earth, it was all one big puddle, one big thing of water. And on the second day, Hashem separated the water. Right? That's why the second day doesn't say Kitov. Separation isn't good. Separation of the same object is not good. So, 
when water from the sky and water from the earth are together, that's before creation. They got split after on the second day of creation. But before creation, the sky water, earth water was all one same water. Mikvah, a mikvah, has to have 40 saw, to measurement, of water, rainwater. In other words, you fill up a mikvah from a faucet, it's puzzled, it's no good. It has to have rainwater. So an ocean has rainwater. The mikvahs that we have have to have 40 saw of rainwater. That's the way it works. Um, Faucet water does not work. So when rainwater and earth water are one, that's pre-tumma, pre the creation of the world, pre-tumma in the world. So when you go into a mikvah and your body is totally covered, you're in a world before there was Tame in the world, and that's what makes you Tahar. That's what makes you Puyo. Tazaya. Most people do not know this. So, therefore, if you have one hair sticking out of the water, then your whole body, or a bandage, or a nail polish, or whatever, then your body is not 100% pre-creation, and therefore you're still Tame. Okay? So that's why men go to the mikvah, women go to the mikvah. That's how it works. Now, my grandmother had no choice. She had to go to the ocean because there was no mikvah in Manila. So she goes to the ocean and there has to be another person. You can't go to the mikvah by yourself. There has to be another person that says, good, you're, you're totally under the water because you don't know. Maybe you're here floated on top. So Mrs. Hershout and Mrs. Holzer, my grandmother, go to the, go to the ocean Mrs. Hershout's watching her go under the water. She goes under the water. She gets redressed. They're now walking back home, and the Japanese catch them. Japanese soldiers. Now, why are two white women standing by the ocean in the middle of the night? The Japanese don't know anything about Jews. So they're like, they're spies. And they're sending signals to the American boats out in the ocean. you got to kill them. Spies. What? what? What are two women doing at night in the, in, in, by the ocean, on the beach? So, they're taking them, my grandmother told me the story, they're taking them to the commander to have them shot. And they're spies. Now, my grandmother only spoke German. She didn't speak English. Japanese only spoke Japanese. They didn't speak German. So the Japanese commander is screaming at them, spies in Japanese, but they don't know what he's talking about. And he takes his pistol out, and he's going to shoot them. And Mrs. Hershout is screaming back at him in German. He's screaming screaming in Japanese, she's screaming back in German. They both have no idea what they're saying to each other. Nothing, whatever it is. Anyway, he puts his pistol back in his thing, and they used to have a stick, these Japanese used to have a stick. And he takes this stick and he starts beating my grandmother. Beating her, like, and she was maybe this tall. She was five feet tall. She's a little teeny lady. And he's beating her because he thinks she's a spy. So he decides he's not going to kill her, but he's going to beat her. And he beats her and she's bleeding and he's beating her in the head and on the back. And her shot, both of them. He's beating both of them. He thinks they're both spies. And they're screaming at him in German. He's screaming at them in Japanese. And he, he just beating the heck out of them. So... Finally, they're bleeding, they're like broken, mama's broken. 
and he sends him home. They, they let my grandmother live. Very fascinating story. Why they let my grandmother live? And because they let her live, they let Mrs. Hershout live. My grandmother, when she left Germany, took one thing with her. She didn't even know why. She had a sewing machine. She was very good in sewing. Sewing. So she, took, she got to take one thing with her. In a suitcase, she put a sewing machine. When she came to the, to the, to, to the Philippines, they knew, no one had a sewing machine. They knew that she had a sewing machine. The Japanese, when they, you can look this up, when they used to, um, when they used to take the planes and fly them into the boats, they would wear a special scarf on their head, uh, a scarf of, called the rising sun, because that's the Japanese thing, it's a, like a rising sun. And they would all wear these scarves when they would crash into these things, and they needed someone to sew them. And my grandmother was the only one that had a sewing machine. So they kept her alive, sorry. They kept her alive because she would make these, they would make, she would make these scarves for them to wear. That's why they kept her alive. And the only thing she took was a sewing machine. Had she not taken a sewing machine, they would have killed her a long time before that. But they needed that, they needed that sewing machine. Anyway, my grandmother was like, she was in my house, and she was like, I would say, at that point, about 92 years old. Maybe 93 years old. And that's when I started my, uh, what are the therapists use the word? My journey. That's when I started my, I hate that word. Um, I hate that word. Like, why, we're not on a journey, but whatever, that's the new word. I'm on my journey, Rabbi. You gotta let me be on my journey. Okay. So, um, so I went upstairs to the attic. I said, Oma, German is Oma, it's called an Oma. Grandmother's called an Oma. I said, Oma, I gotta ask you something. You did a mitzvah. You went to the mikvah. In the middle of the night, you put your life on the line. You did a mitzvah. On your way home, you get caught. And this guy's beating you. Like, didn't he, weren't you upset? Weren't you angry at Hashem? Like, why couldn't you protect me that they didn't, they didn't catch me? These were guards that were walking. Like, you know, you could have gone home with safely. I go ahead, I do a mitzvah. I go to the mikvah. And, and that's how you reward me? So I asked her, I asked my grandmother, I said, Oma, like, I need to know, like, were you like, when he's hitting you, like, saying, shouldn't have gone to the mikvah, I shouldn't be religious, like, what were you thinking? So she said to me, she spoke half German, half English, she said to me, every time he hit me, I'm thinking Hashem, for every time he hits me, give me another year of life. Because at that point, they didn't even know if they were going to get out of the war. She said... I wish he would have hit me more. Maybe I would have lived till 120. Because you you, you, this is my grandmother. She's getting beat. She did a mitzvah. She's getting her head banged in. And she's thinking, Hashem, not Hashem, how could you do this to me? Like, I'm, I'm leaving the religion. That's what kids would do today. Forget about it. Right? If the car doesn't start on the way to the mikvah, they're like, okay, that's it. Right? And, and she's getting beat up. And she's thinking, she told me, she, she died she was 95. Today's her, today's her yard site. She's like, ugh, I wish you would have hit me a few more times. I would have more years. It's such a different mindset than we have. It's not normal. That's how they thought. So today's her yard site. It should be, taka, uh, should be a schus for everybody. A schus, definitely a schus for our family. Her name was Hinda. Actually, I have a daughter, the same exact name. Hinda Bas Zacharia. And she was actually a Bas Levi. My grand, my, I'm a, I'm a true, a, a fully bred Cohen. 
My, my grandfather was a Kohen on both sides. So my mother's a Bash Kayin. My father's a Kayin. My grandmother is the same Shevet. She's a Bas Levi. So we're all from the same Shevet Levi. And I was always wondering, like, why am I a Kayin? Why am I from Shevet Levi? Because otherwise, people are like, like, I was by a wedding, someone came up to me and says, Rabbi Wallstein, you're Mashiach! I'm like, no can be, because Mashiach comes from Shevet Yehuda, and I'm a Kayin from Shevet Levi. So God made sure that I don't think I'm Mashiach. That's for sure. There's no question. I am not Mashiach. I will not be Mashiach. I'm a Kayin. And my father always used to say, the Wallsteins would rather be a Kayin than Mashiach. He was very into the, very into the Kahuna. Anyway, I don't think you girls could understand, because I can't really understand being in the Philippines, coming out of the Holocaust, getting beat up because you went to a mikvah, and like, like Hashem, you know, like, thank you, and, and I wish you would hit me more. These are just, just a different, a different world. I wish we could, I wish we could be like those people were. But anyway, we're not. But we have to be the best that we can. All right. Pashas, I'm going back. This week is talking about Pashas Chayisara, which I don't even want, there's, it's, there's some like crazy Kabbalistic stuff on it, but I'm not going to go there, because I'm going to mix you guys all up. Um, this is actually the, this is actually the Pasha of Shiduchim. Right? Aram Avinu sent Eliezer to find a Shidduch for his son Yitzchak. There's always there's one Torah on this Pasha, and then I'll go back to a Pasha, that I love very much. He, he makes all kinds of deals. Eliezer, he talks to Hashem, and he's like, listen, the girl that... Um, that says, I want to give you the drink, and then I want to give your gamalim to drink. That's the one. That's the one. Right? And that's really what happened. But when he came to the water, when, when he was watching her, she came to the water, it says that the water in the well came up on its own to her. She didn't have to put the pail into the water. Right? She was three years old, whatever that means exactly, but she was very young. So, Tell my boys, if you like, if you go out with a girl on a shidduch, right, and you're on your way to the city and you, you realize your car has, doesn't have much gas in it, so you pull into the gas station and she's like, no, 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 I'll, I'll fill it up. That would be pretty weird, right? I'll, I'll fill it up. You can stay in the car. I'll be like, whoa. Um, and, and she goes out of the car and she doesn't even touch the gas thing. And the gas thing comes out of the thing, go, the thing opens up on its own, it goes in, it fills it up, she didn't even touch it, right? You'd be like, oh my gosh, I gotta marry this girl, or oh my gosh, I don't wanna marry this girl. But either way, right, that would be like, she didn't, she didn't even touch it and it filled up itself! It's gotta be some big Sunday, cause she, she definitely went to Benoth Bina, this girl, for sure. Like, there's no Shiloh. Um, so like, Eliezer had all these things, but the minute he saw the water come up, what do you need all those other tests for? He's like, this gotta be some crazy Tzadekista that the water came up on its own. So why do you need all the tests? He saw that she's a Tzadekista, she's different. Nope, wasn't good enough for him. Nope, until he saw that she offered to give him to drink and the Gamalim to drink, he said it's not the right girl. And I heard a beautiful Teretz, and I never forgot this Teretz. And my Rebbe said, just because you're holy 
doesn't mean you're a Baal Chesed. So maybe the word is coming up because she says Perik Shira. Or maybe because she says the whole Tehillim every day. But that doesn't mean that she does Chesed. So even though the water came up, he said, oh, this is Tzedekistah. But Avram Avinu's house is not only a holy house, it's a house of Chesed. And I need to see Chesed. So even though holier than holy, Tzniyas and everything else, but I need to see Chesed. And that Chesed had to be that she gave him to drink and then she gave his Gemalim to drink. So even though he saw that she was a Tzedekistah, that wasn't enough. Because Avram's house, his whole house, was a house of chesed. And he saw that this girl had this, had this midah also. I want to go back to Pasha Bayera and I want to talk about a subject that's very, very interesting. So, when Hashem came to Avram Avinu, and in the beginning... In Pashas Lech Lecha, Pasuk Tes Vav, Perek Yud Zayin. Vayom Elokim Avraham. Sarai Ishtacha, Loisikra Shema Sarai, Kisara Shema. Uberachti Oisa, and I'm going to bench her, and she's also going to have a son. Uberachtiha. And this son Yitzchak, it's going to be Yitzchak, is going to be huge. Vayipol Avram Alpanov, Vayitzchak. Avram fell on his face, he started laughing. He started laughing, like, now, he said, he said, what did he say? Who's too old? Believe I have been Mayor Shana, you valid? How am I going to have a kid? I'm a hundred years old. And so is 90 years old. He's like, this, this is not going to happen. We're both, we're both too old. Now, the difference between his laugh and Sarah's laugh is his was a simcha. It's happy, I'm going to have a child. And Sarah was. I don't believe this. Okay? So Avram believed in it, and Sarah did not believe in it. Okay. When Hashem told Sarah she's going to have a, a child, she also laughed. But Titzach Sarah Bekirba. Sarah laughed within herself and she said, I'm going to have a child. Girl, she didn't say she was too old. She said her husband was too old. Because at 90 years old, she didn't have her period for a very long time. The Rashi says that she got her period all of a sudden. So she was like, what's going on over here? So maybe I could have kids. Because if I have a period, I could have kids. But Adonis, okay, my, my, my husband's 100 years old. He's 99 years old. He's not going to have any kids. Okay? This is a very fascinating question I'm about to tell you. So now, Hashem comes to Avram to report what happened. God comes to Avram. Why 
Why did your wife Sarah laugh? What did she say? Ha'af umnon eli v'nizakanti. How am I going to have kids? I'm too old. That's not what Sarah said. Sarah said, he's too old. Sarah didn't say she was too old. She got her period. She said, he's too old. But now when Hashem repeated the story to Avram, Hashem said, she said, she's too old. That's a lie. That's not MS. That's not what she said. She said, Avram's too old. When Hashem repeated it, Hashem said, she said, she's too old. Girls, how could Hashem lie? He's MS. He can't lie. So you're going to tell me, let's look at Rashi. Like, how can he change his story? Right? So, let's look at Rashi. says, Vaniza Kanti, Hashem said, she said that she's old. Shina Kasev, the Torah changes it. For peace. Because she said her master is too old. But Hashem didn't want to insult. Imagine going back to Avram and saying, uh, you know why your wife is laughing? Because you're an old buzzard, man. And she don't believe you can have kids. He'd be like, what? My wife said that? I'm never going to talk to her again. Hashem's like, no. She said, she's too old. You're okay. You could have kids. So Rashi says, God sort of lied. Well, you want to say, you don't want to say God lied. God changed the truth for peace. God can't change the truth for peace. God is truth. Mom question. Bothered me for a hundred years. Not a hundred years, for a long time. It's very nice, but God can't do that. Yes. I don't hear you. Does. Right. But he can't. That's what I'm saying. You're right. Good lesson. Thank you. And you can't always change the truth either. In other words, if you if a guy says to his wife, I'm going to work, and he goes to Atlantic City to play cards, and he comes home, he says, she says, so where were you? I went to work. I was shalom, shalom bias. I don't want to tell her I went to, that's not allowed. You can't lie and make up stories for shalom bias when you do the wrong thing. So the question here is, how, how could he do it? He's MS. It's like, he's MS. It's very nice, I hear the lesson, but he's MS. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say she said anything. She laughed. I told her she's going to have a child, she laughed. End the case. Don't say anything. Wouldn't that be better? Yeah. That what? I don't say what you're saying. Ish they could goof. Right. Why? Because he's saying that no, but he's saying she said she's too old. She said she's too old. She came to he came to Avram and said. So Avram's like, so what did she say when you told her? Oh, she said she's too old. Oh, okay. No, but I'm saying Hashem changed what she said. It's not what she said. She did not say, she did not say she's too old. She said he's too old. 
How do you how do you do that? And there is an answer. I'm going to get to the answer, but how do you do that? Yeah. Well, we learned this this year um, about how when you have done a bitters and on um, by Yom Kippur, it's if you do proper tshuva, Hashem can erase your bitters and make it in the flow of time as it and change the path as if you didn't even do them. So I'm thinking. And it could possibly apply here somehow to. Um, to she, didn't, she didn't do tshuva. That's if she did tshuva. It doesn't say she did tshuva. You're right. Tshuva goes before the, a time you can go back and change things. That's a whole chesed that Hashem gave us. But she didn't do tshuva here. But Hashem knows if she's going to or not. Hashem repeated in her name something she never said. How do you do that? Should have just left it alone. She laughed. So you made Shalom bias, but and that's what Rashi's saying. But how, how, how does that happen? So I'm going to tell you two stories, and then I'll explain it to you. Rav Shimshim Pinkus talks about this very deep. It happens to be very deep. Um, one story is in the Gemara. The Gemara says that Rebbe, big tzad, Rebbe was a Tana, that Rebbe, for 13 years, when he went to the bathroom, would have such bad hemorrhoids that he would scream so loud that the boats, the, the sailors on the boats on the ocean would hear him. That's crazy pain. That's pain. Gemara says, why did this happen to him? Because he was walking down the street one day and there was someone taking a goat to be slaughtered, to be shechted for supper. And the goat ran to Rebbe underneath his jacket. It didn't, I guess it knew that it was being shechted. It didn't want to be shechted. And Rebbe turned to the goat and said, Goat! Talk to the goat. Goat! You were created to be on the barbecue. Where are you running? And he opened the jacket and shoot a goat. And in Shemayim they said, because you didn't have pity on the goat, we don't have pity on you, you're going to suffer. So for 13 years, he screamed in pain like nobody's business. And then one day, the Gemara says, his maid came to him and said, there are four, what are they called? Not rats, but like rats. Whatever, four animals that invaded the house. Can I kill them? Now he remembered what he did wrong last time and he said, no, don't bother them, let them live. And in Shemayim, they said, oh, now he has Rachmanis on animals and they took the pain away. It's Gemara. So after question. He, the goat is created to, not to be a mathematician, go to school, created to be on the barbecue. What did he do wrong? He told, he told the truth. He told the truth. What did he do wrong? Why would he be punished? To an animal? Imagine to a human being. If you t- right? He told the truth. He said, you're a goat. <laughs> That's where goats end up. Why do you get punished? Question number one. Number two. A story that I love. I say it over all the time. Specifically to Bali Chuvas and to people who are not religious. But this is an amazing story and it's brought down in the Mamleyes by the Lechem Apanim. So, in the base of Migdash, 
there were 12 breads called the Lechem HaPanam that were on the Shulchan that were baked once a week. And these breads would stay fresh, like Sarimeno and Sarimeno would stay fresh the whole week. So imagine they baked it and the coin would eat it on Friday and it was still hot and fresh. With a nace, with a miracle in the base of Migdash. Anyway, so when the base of Migdash was destroyed, there's no more Lechem Apanim. There's no more Beis Amigdash, no more Shulchan, no more Lechem Apanim. There was this peasant who knew nothing, didn't know how to learn. He knew nothing. And his wife was always like, why don't you go to, sh- why don't you go to Shul? Why don't you go to Shul? Why don't you go to Shul? Doesn't even know how to read. Finally, she pushed him to go one Friday night to Shul. And between Mincha and Mairev, the rabbi gets up and he talks about the Lechem Apanim. It was the Pasha, the Lechem Apanim. I think it's either Trum or Tetzavah, right? And he talks about the Lechem Apanim and how it was warm and, and now we don't have the base of Migdash, there's no more Lechem Apanim. This guy doesn't know nothing. He heard the speech. Comes home. He's a p- poor guy. He lives in a, out there on a farm somewhere in the edge of town. Never went to Shul. Never went anywhere. He tells his wife, you're not going to believe it. She says, what? She goes, I went to the synagogue and the rabbi got up and for a thousand years or fifteen hundred years at that point God hasn't eaten she says what do you mean? he says they used to bake bread for him every week but now that the base of Mishra is destroyed he has no bread he must be so hungry so he tells his wife his wife says what should we do? he said well they, eat, they used to eat Friday the, the bread so let's bake twelve breads for God to eat Thursday night she said, well, we don't have any money. He said, let's take all our money that we have at the end of the week from farming and let's, we're going to make God so happy. So they got so excited, these two Nebuch. <laughs> they got so excited, they got to make bread for God. So, Thursday night, he brings home the flour. It's a true story. It's a crazy story. And they bake 12 breads. And she goes, how are we going to give it to God? Where do you give God to eat? He says, well, in the synagogue there's an ark and the Torahs are in there. I guess that's where he hangs out. So let's put the bread in the ark. So he goes and he's got these 12 loaves of warm bread and he comes into the shul Thursday night like 12, 1 o'clock in the middle of the night and he opens it on HaKodesh and he takes the challah and he puts it in and he says, Hashem, you no longer have to starve. We're going to do this every week for you. And he's so happy. So happy. Next day, his wife says to him, you think Hashem ate them? He says, I don't know. He says, listen, everybody left prayers already. It was afternoon. Go and open up the ark and see if the house is still there. He opens up the ark. They're gone. They're gone with the sack. Comes home, he says, Hashem took the whole sack with all our bread. She is so, they're like, imagine they're feeding God. This went on for a year. Every Thursday night, they baked the challah at 12 o'clock, he put it in the ark, checked it every Friday, it was gone. Amazing. They were the happiest couple in the world. No one knew anything. One Thursday night, it's towards the end of the first year they were doing this, he comes into the shul, it's like one o'clock at night, and the Rav, for whatever reason, the rabbi of the shul, happened to have been there in the Ezra's Nashim, in the girls' section, which was above. 
and he hears somebody coming into the shul, it must be a ganeth, be a robber who's coming to the shul at one o'clock at night. So he looks down, he sees this guy with a sack going to Arna Kodesh. He's like, oh my God, the guy's coming to steal the Torahs. For sure, who's coming at one o'clock at night? He runs downstairs, I got you, I caught you! Coming to steal the Torah, I'm calling the police! He's like, no, Rabbi, no, no, I'm not stealing anything. He says, what are you doing? He says, what are you having in that sack? He goes, Rabbi, you remember a year ago you gave a speech and God hasn't eaten in 1,500 years and so for the last year, me and my wife, we've been baking this stuff for God and he's so happy he eats it, I check it every Friday. And the Rabbi looks at him and says, You fool! What are you, Avay Dezara? What are you, what are you, stupid? God eats bread? You didn't understand what I was talking about. The bread was for the Kahanim. For God? Kahanim ate the bread. He goes, no, Rabbi, you're wrong. Every Friday I check, and it's gone. He says, yeah, we've been wondering. We thought a rich man who wanted to feed the poor of the town was putting 12 loaves of bread in the Arnakodesh for the poor people. So every Friday morning after davening, it smelled really good. We took the bread and we gave it to the poor people. God never touched your bread. He says, what? You took the bread and you gave it to people? He says, absolutely. Now get out of here, you fool. True story. Comes home. His wife's like, so? God ate the bread again? He says, sit down. And he tells her, God doesn't eat our bread. There's no God eating bread. The poor people are eating a bread. We wasted our time. She's so broken. You can imagine how they danced every Thursday night. They're feeding Hashem. And this rabbi just... Broken to people. Broken to people. The Zaya, the Ariya Kaddish. I have the book. The Ariya Kaddish. Who is the Holy of Holies. In Tzvass. Had a dream that night. That Friday night. It was Friday night. And Amalach came to him in the dream and said to him, The rabbi of, the sh- of this in the shul, tomorrow, after Mincha, will die the most gruesome death that a human being has ever died. And he said to the Malach, That rabbi, he's a holy man, what did he do? He said, since, the Malach told Ariyakadosh, I have it, it's written in a book, that since the destruction of the base of Mignosh, God never had a Reach Nichoach, because the base of Mignosh was destroyed, until the last year, the smell of the bread that these two people baked for him went straight to the Kisar Kavod, and it gave Hashem such nachas, and this rabbi stopped it. He is going to die the worst death of any human being. And the Ariyah Kodesh woke up. And he went to the rabbi's house, Shabbos morning, and he told him, prepare to leave this world. So I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, you know that peasant that came, that you told him that the bread was you gave to the poor, and that he's... He's a fool, he's an apikairis, that God doesn't eat bread. Do you know that he was like the Kohen Gadol to Hashem the last year? The only enjoyment that God got from this world were those chalos. And you stopped it. 
And God said, you're done. And he writes in his Sefer that the screaming of pain that this rabbi after Mincha, the death that this man had, his tongue went out, it turned black. Crazy, crazy stuff he wrote because of what he did. Girls, what did he do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. He told this guy the truth. God doesn't eat bread. God doesn't eat bread! He told him, you're not the curious. If you told me right now, that last night, you, gave, you took pizza and you put it in the drawer and said, Hashem, you should eat it, we got a big problem with you, if you think Hashem eats. What did this rabbi do wrong? He told the guy the truth. You're an idiot. God doesn't eat bread, that's a way to Zara. They used to serve their idols food. What did he do wrong? Why are you punishing him, Hashem? What did Rebbe do wrong by telling the goat that you're supposed to be on a barbecue? You're shish kebab. What did he do wrong? He is shish kebab. This is Rebbe Shem Shem share. He said the following. He said, God's world and this world are very different. In Hashem's world, listen carefully, girls. In Hashem's world, Shalom, peace, making someone feel good, is MS. Hurting somebody, even if it's the truth, is Sheka. So Hashem telling Avram Avinu that your wife, if you would have said your wife said what the truth is, that you're too old, it would have hurt Avram Avinu. That's Sheka. But that's what she said. That's what she said. Yeah, but hurting somebody else is Shekha. So, what he did by changing and saying that Sari Menu said, she's too old, that's in his world, MS. Telling the goat that that's what you're going for and making the goat feel bad or whatever that means, is Shekha, even though it's the truth. Telling this man that you're, you're an idiot, thinking you could give God to eat, even though that's the MS, you hurt him and his wife, that's Shekhar. So many times, when you get into an argument with someone, and you know that you're right, let it go. Because sometimes being right is not the truth. If you being right hurts the other person, then even though it is the truth, in the other world, it is Shekhar. Because you hurt somebody. It is Shekhar. And sometimes, not the truth, but it makes the other person feel well, and you say, you know what, you're right, even though you know the person's wrong. You say, well, Rabbi, it's Shekhar, it's, 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 I'm lying, you're not lying, because if you make the other person feel well, in the other world, it's MS. I have this with Shiduchim a lot. When people ask information, it's like, I have to tell them. I have to tell them. I have to tell them. I'm like, no, you don't have to tell them. Certain things you do have to tell them. Certain things you don't have to tell them. Girls ask me this all the time. Like, do I have to tell the boy that when I was 15, I had a boyfriend? But now I flipped and I'm from and I'm a, a, what's it called? So do I have to tell them that I had a boyfriend. My answer always is, no, you don't have to tell him. If you had a boyfriend while you were going out with him and you cheated on him, yeah, you got to tell him. But what you did when you were 15, what does that do with him? Had you met him, you wouldn't have needed a boyfriend. Like, 
there are certain things you do, you have to ask Shilas, you do have to tell to that person, but the thing I tell my wife that I gave my Rebbe flat tire and put gum on his seat and thumbtacks on his uh, other seat and uh, everything I ever did wrong, like what? What do you need to, why, you need, why is it that person's business? Like, you, you, like, and girls are like, no, I gotta tell him everything, and I'm like, no, he's gonna, first of all, he's gonna run, and no, you certain halachic things you have to tell him, but otherwise, no. No, because MS is Shalom. And Shek is Machlekes, and you don't always have to be right. Yes, and I gave this in a Shalom bias class. If it's, if it's, if it's about a school, if it's a halacha, no, you can't, you can't say Shek when it comes to halacha. To make Shalom. That you can't do. But, you know, you have, I told you guys, you're having an argument with your wife, right? It's not such an important argument. You know that you're right because you have some information she doesn't have. Let her win. Let her be right. She's going to walk out so happy. And you know that you gave up the truth, really, but the said to make her happy. And if, if love means that, that your happiness is my happiness. So you don't have to always be right. The rabbi could have been wrong. He could have said nothing. Oh, it's nice. You're feeding God. Oh, that's such a nice thing. That would have been such a good... It would have been... Hashem would have kissed him and hugged him. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not becaious. You're an idiot. You're a fool. What are you doing? What are you doing? So, you don't always have to be right. And sometimes, if it's not really, especially if it's not important, what the other principle was, what did someone just tell me yesterday? If, if you prove that your, right, your wife is wrong, you make her a loser. In the fight, who's the winner, who's the loser? So if you're the winner in the fight, that means your wife's a loser. <laughs> this is the guy told me last night. He goes, if you are in a fight with your wife, and you're the winner, what does that make your wife? What does it make your wife? A loser, right? What does that mean? You married a loser. You want to marry a loser? I said, that's a very happy line. I like that. That's a very deep, deep, deep insight. You want to marry a loser? You want to marry a winner? So, if, listen to this. I said this back to him. I said, it's even better than that. Because if you let her be the winner, right? That means you married a winner and she married a loser. And she doesn't even know that. So that's really the way it's got to work out. So, so that's the answer to this question. Shalom, MS is peace. Sheker is machlekes. So you need to think about before you, before you hurt someone's feel whatever it is. Again, the rabbi was right. He, this guy was a fool. The rabbi was right. The animal was right. But being always right doesn't mean it's always the truth. That it's always the MS. Sort of that's how tshuva works. Because the sultan comes to Hashem and says, what do you mean he, he, he ate a burger and now he did tshuva and you're showing me that he ate a, a Reisman's cake and he made a bracha. That's not what happened. It's not MS. Right? But tshuva changes the whole situation and makes it into MS. That's a power of tshuva. Tshuva is a crazy power. If you do ba'av, if you do it with love. Anyway, we should all have the schutz to even touch my grandmother's toes and to be in a place that you don't have questions on God, just the opposite. You don't have questions on God. She could have had all the questions in the world, but it's just the opposite. It's like, Hashem, if I'm going through something, then it should be a schutz for us. And Klaistol is going through a lot of things. And Shetaka be a schutz for all of us. We should see Mashiach. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.